you would please turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 16. We are moving in to the home stretch. We're looking at verses 15 through 24. We'll have a word of prayer. And then we'll read our text. And as I commonly do, we'll kind of do an overview of these verses this Lord's Day. And we will begin moving across in the weeks to come. Father, help us to have ears to hear and eyes to see. Father, help us to rest full weight upon you. And Father, even as this text uh, is so rich and so deep, and yet, Father, there's times that we overlook. Help us, Lord. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but your word will stand forever. Help us, Lord, to drink deep of you and what you do. Father, help us to rest in you and you alone. Thank you for this day. We thank you for drawing us together. And Father, I ask now that you teach us, that you draw us, that you mold us, purify us, and use us as drink offerings poured out to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. In Christ's name, amen. Beginning in verse 15, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Now I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanus, that they were the first fruits of Achaia, and that they had devoted themselves for ministry to the saints, that you also being in subjection to such men and to everyone who helps in the work and the laborers. I rejoice over the coming of Stephanus and Fortunus and Acacia because they have supplied what was lacking on your part. For they have refreshed my spirit and yours, therefore acknowledge such men. The churches of Asia greet you, Aquila and Prisca greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house. And the brethren greet you, greet one another with a holy kiss, the greeting of my own hand, Paul. If anyone does not love the Lord, he is to be a cursed Maranatha. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. We're about done, ain't we? Yeah. <laughs> and some of you are saying, we should have been done years ago. But anyway, this is a wondrous letter. And when we began this letter, the whole reason that I began 1 Corinthians was because I wanted to teach 2 Corinthians. And I believe August will make it uh, eight years, roughly, to set the stage for 2 Corinthians. Why? 2 Corinthians is ministry. But just as the Corinthians had a problem, so do we. Okay, And that problem is personal holiness. You cannot move into ministry with a lacking of personal holiness. And you will see this um, throughout the letter to the Corinthians, both sides, both letters, Corinthians. And yet it's a rebuke 
to the church and to individuals who would be in the church that they're missing the point. Most Christians want to serve. But the greatest issue I believe that is on the table right now is their personal holiness. Because you will be pruned, you will be fired at, you will be shot at, and you will be run through the refiner's fire. And if you're not aware of that, then I would suggest don't get involved. Um, the church today has bought hook, line, and sinker that you buy ministers. And that's the way I want to phrase it. You will pay your money to have a group or a staff to quote-unquote minister to you. I will tell you straight up, that is not biblical. There are men and women in the body of Christ who will make their living on the gospel. But the body of Christ is a dynamic organism and it demands that all the people in the body of Christ serve. And then some of you will have speaking gifts and others will have serving gifts. It is really quite that simple. You are supernaturally empowered for the service of the saints. The problem is, and the issue at hand is, personal holiness. And, and I watch people, and, 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 and bless their hearts, they believe that they need to be in some kind of a Bible college, or they believe that they need to go to seminary, or they need to be in a certain study, or a certain style of study, and they need this, and they need to do that, and I need to take in this much facts, and I need to know what dispensational theology is. I remember uh, coming to the root awakening, the difference between an Arminianist and a Calvinist. Um, and I thought, then what is the issue here? I mean, I can prove both of them biblically. Uh, and, well, what do you mean? And I had people ready to crucify me. I remember preaching a text out of 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, that says, you have been chosen by the foreknowledge of God. And when I got done preaching that text, I literally had people standing in the aisles to cuss me. And I thought, boy, isn't that a pleasant idea? Um, you know, did I really miss that text that much? Uh, then it dawned on me that there is a war here. Uh, and, um, of course, that's when they said, we believe you are a pastor because you just walked into that completely blind. And I was like, you really want a blind pastor? <laughs> um, but anyway, I share that because I believe that what we have in this text is the issue of the letter, is the issue of ministry, is the issue of personal holiness. And I believe it's summarized very quickly in this text. Let's be realistic. Um, I entitled this, Love in the fellowship. Okay? Uh, and I believe that this is a very rich text. And guess what? I will take my time in this text because this one message hangs together under one theme of this whole book. And people say, well, I just don't see that there. When you look at this text in its overview, uh, it's a, a bunch of admonishments, okay, a bunch of personal things, some personal instructions, some a few hi, how are you kind of things, and tell Bob I said hey, and don't forget this person and all the rest of it. 
Um, this text, 15 through 24, most people look at it, what I call the begots. Okay, those genealogies that you see in the Bible, such and such begotten, such and such begotten, such and such begotten, and you sit there and you read it and you think, I'm truly encouraged by that. And as you conclude a letter, you will run into these sometimes in Paul's writings. And we just sort of, well, uh, all right. And, you know, I have been reading the first Corinthians every day for years now. And I will be honest with you, as I cruise through first Corinthians and reading it for years, this is one of those parts you dive and dive and dive and dive and dive and I'm done. Amen. Right. Do you really pay that much attention to it? But I want to tell you something. I've been convicted of something. Do you understand that the Holy Spirit inspired this as much as he did John 3.16? This is not Paul saying, God's not talking now and I want to throw in some niceties to some of these people that I know. When you say that the Bible is the inspired word of God, which part? Do you understand that when you read verses 15 through 24, that you are looking at the revelation of God in its equal? And it's easy to kind of cruise through this thing and say, well, you know, I don't understand what it is. I don't do. Maybe you guys didn't struggle with it, but uh, years ago, um, when I got my first real Bible, it's a long story, I'll explain it to you one of these days, but I, I got me a Bible, and it had the red letter in it, right? And um, how many years did I go through thinking that the red letter is the more important part? I, I know maybe you guys never stumbled into that, but I used to think that, you know, well, if we just kept the red letter, we'd have a smaller book. <laughs> and they kept telling me at that time, the people who were influencing my walk were, you need to read the Bible, we need to read the Bible. And I, so when I read my Bible, I read the red letter. Why? It's more important. Isn't it more important? Now, maybe you guys never struggled with that. But what I have learned in the last few years, more than that, there's not any difference. Genesis to Revelations, it is the whole, and the whole is the Word of God. You'll hear people say, well, I, I'm, I'm focusing on the gospel. Okay, um, do you know that the gospel is Genesis to Revelations? The word gospel is good news. Why? Good news. Genesis to Revelation is God-breathed. It is God-inspired. It is God revealing Himself to mankind. And um, I believe that this text is that important. Is that important. Okay, and now here's the reason why. Here's the reason that I believe that most of us miss it. There's a bracket on this text. Okay? I watch for things like this. On both sides of this text, there's a statement. And I wonder if we really pay attention to it. It starts there in verse 
14, and it says, let what? Let all that you do be done in love. What does verse 24 say? My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. See the frame? There's a frame. There's a beginning and an end, and guess what the issue is? Love. It's love. Okay? See, Paul is really talking about here love in the fellowship. I watch churches today who are trying to manufacture this. They, they have their, their small groups. They have their home Bible studies. You know, we, we want to do something that, you know, a picnic together. We want to do a da-da-da. We have all these plans. And I, I believe that we're missing it. Okay, and, and I believe that in this overview, you'll see what I'm talking about. And all be done in love. And basically what he says, and may my love I give unto you. And what he's basically saying is, what should dominate yours and my life? Dominant force in our lives is love. And let me, let's be realistic. We've spent some time in this letter, and this is a message to Corinthians. Really, we're in desperate need of hearing, wasn't it? Love was absolute absent from their life for all practical reasons. The letter to the seven churches in the book of Revelations okay, starts with Ephesus, ends with Laodicea. Right? Okay, and of course everybody talks about Laodicea. No, they're not lukewarm. They're neither hot nor cold. and It just makes Jesus want to vomit. Right, you know, it, it, it Laodicea is so awful. <laughs> Jesus is outside, knocking on the door. He ain't even in the church. That's awful. Can you believe that? Really? Did you ever think about what uh, church in Ephesus was dealing with? They tested those who claimed to be speakers of Christ. Is your theology true? Their deeds were greater from their inception to the date of the writing of the letter in 90 AD. They were doing more for Christ. They were growing. They were abounding. They were growing in their theology. And yet, there was a problem. What was the problem? They had lost their first love. Church in Corinth was a stable church, a doctrinally sound church. They had it figured out. Now, Corinth was an awful city, but let's be realistic. Anytime you put a bunch of human beings together, what do you end up with? An awful city. Everyone I've been in has been that way. You get a group of them together, what do you get? Awful city. So that isn't that big a deal, is it? I want you to think about that for a little bit because Corinth was terrible. Okay? There was a term in secular Greek at the writing of the, this letter that was called to Corinthianize, and that means someone who was promiscuous. Okay, now I wonder where they got that idea. 
In fact, if you think about this, and you take this relationship that existed in the church, in Corinth, love was all but absent. In fact, if you look at all of the problems from chapter 1 through chapter 15, they were basically a reflection of a lack of love. It was missing. There was discord in this church. There were schisms, disunity in this church. There was an intellectualism in this church. They wanted to identify with certain cliques, certain teachers. I'm more involved with this teacher or that teacher. You know, I'm not going to go to this Sunday school class because such and such isn't teaching it. Or it's sort of like when the church finds out that the pastor will be gone, the church is gone. (laughs) We have a guest speaker. Well, who would that be? Well, it's probably somebody from the church. I think I'm going fishing. But, but you see it today. It's, it's all over the place. They were suing each other in the body of Christ. There was illicit sex in the body of Christ. There was marital problems in the body of Christ. They were literally, to, to use Zelensky's term, stepping on the necks of the weaker brothers. In this church. And there were other problems. And yet I can take every problem that was in this church. I mean, even the corruption and perversion of spiritual gifts was in this church. And all of these things are directly related to the absence of love. Love. Listen, that's why the high point of this letter is where? Chapter 13. And you know what's funny about chapter 13? That's the one we all want to use at our weddings. Isn't it? You know, when you get... Their lovey-doveys are getting ready and they're blinking their eyes at each other and you think, well, it's going downhill from here. But, uh, you know, they're all just especially... And they all want to read, love is long-suffering, love is patient, and love... And then you're sitting there going, that's the body of Christ we're talking about here, guys. It ain't got nothing to do with getting married. Okay? Paul describes the kind and what is love that it should be and how does it look manifested in the assembly. And you literally see him lay it out in 15 through 24. What does it look like? So when you look at this conclusion here, we have a tendency to run through it and say, these is just some personal, these are some buddies of his, and he's saying, hey, and how you doing, and greet each other with a holy kiss, and, you know, Yahoo, and tell Stephanus that I said, hey. Okay, and that ain't what this text is dealing with, although that is included. So we shouldn't be surprised with a church that has such an absence of love that at the end of the letter, Paul reminds them, all things be done in love. And I will close with the example of it because my love be with you. It's interesting. 
Don't you think it's interesting? I thought that was interesting. Well, maybe you guys all knew that and I just came aware of it. See, love is the real story of the book. Of the letter. Paul is showing love and he's working on correcting the absence of love in the Corinthian church. And you know what? I believe that this is part of the problem in the church today. See, he's closing on the very theme that corrects the whole situation in the Corinthian church. Why? Now, I want you to think about it because the first Corinthians sets up personal holiness and wants you to be the foundation of your personal holiness. Love. Love. See, if you're really honest, and you don't have to be a theologian, you don't have to be a Greek scholar, you don't, you don't have to know all of the nuances that are out there today. Love, without a question, should be the characteristic of the church. Now listen, I want to be real careful because I don't want your definition of love. I don't want you to define it. Okay? What is God defining? Because if you think about what we have tried to bring into the church is man's understanding of love. Man's understanding of love is very simple. It's very straightforward. I love me and I like what you'll do for me. What's the church today? We want to hire a bunch of what? Ministers. Why? What will you do for me? Why do you have to have a church that's based on, well, do you have an, an older class? Do you reach out to the widows and widowers? Do you have a singles class? Do you have a divorce recovery something class? Do you have a da-da-da-da class? Do you have something for the young people? Do you have something for the tykes? Do you have a nursery? What's the basis of that? I love me, and what are you going to do for me? It's an interesting concept. Yet it hasn't changed, and yet that is not the love that you and I have studied. I mean, back up to 13, go through it. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and do not have love, I have become a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. If I can speak all languages and I don't have love, guess what? You're noisy. You're irritating. If I give all of my possessions to feed the poor and I surrender my body to be burned, martyr me, and I do not have love, it profits me nothing. If I have the gift of prophecy, I have all mysteries. I know all knowledge. I have all faith. I can move all mountains with my faith. And I don't have love. Because love is patient, it's kind, it's not jealous. Love does not brag. It is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. It's fascinating. Don't you think that's fascinating? 
It's laid out there for you. And you know what I, I think is be hilarious is to say, okay, now everybody go do that now. Oh, yeah? <laughs> Let me give you a, a letter to think about. People ask, as a pastor, you always get asked, do you believe that Jesus' return is close? I mean, you know, everything's going on in Iran and Iraq and Palestine, Palestinians and the Jews. And da, 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 it's all. Um, yes, I do believe his return is very close. And I'm, no, I do not believe it's because of the United Nations. Okay, I, I've had people tell me, oh, you know, they're the ones that, you know, the Catholics, give me a break, people. You know what I believe? You know why I believe that it is very near? comes out of 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Alright? Beginning in verse 1. But realize this, in the last days, difficult times will come. Seems like a straightforward statement. Paul is telling Timothy in the second letter to Timothy, it is time for you to take over my mantle. He was in the Mamatine prison. He was preparing to be beheaded. And he knew that Timothy was going, is heir apparent. He was going to take over Paul's ministry. And you will press on. It is time to fulfill your ministry, he tells him. Okay? But he says, I need you to understand what it's going to be like dealing with the church. Please understand, this text is not dealing with society. You do not need to be a rocket scientist or a deep theologian to understand that men are lovers of self. Because that's what he states next. Men will be lovers of self. Okay, Charles Spurgeon says of that text right there, that is the sewer pipe that the rest of it pours out of. Okay, let me tell you something about lovers of self. Who don't they love? Everybody else. Lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy. Listen, do you need to tell me that the lost people are unholy? I never really had any problem spotting that. Unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal. Haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. You know what he's telling you here? This is what the church has the potential to look like. Tell me what I'm seeing today. Tell me what I'm seeing today. Is this not truly fulfilled today? Holding a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these. Do you know what causes a church to look like that? Yeah. Lovers of self. Okay. We went through chapter 13 in great detail. I showed it. I called it 15 facets of the diamond of God's love. And what does it look like? And it can be summarized in this statement. Considering others more important than yourself. Lovers of self don't fit in that boat. They don't fit in that boat. That health, wealth, and prosperity message that you hear cloaked as the gospel today fits the lovers of self mold. 
And we're eyeball deep in it. And everybody has embraced it. It's not a denominational thing. It is a church thing. So when you're dealing with personal holiness, what are you going to deal with first? Well, that's why they call it personal holiness. You don't have to worry about my holiness. Did you know that? As a pastor, I don't have to worry about your holiness either. Romans chapter 5 tells us that the love of God has been poured into our heart by the person of the Holy Spirit. So when I say that love is the characteristic of the church, then what you see in 2 Timothy 3 shows an aberrant move that will show difficult times coming in the last days. Listen, we're alive and well in this. I want to take you to another text, a wonderful church, a church that I pray that we will be in one of these days. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. This is a rock and roll church for me. If you want church growth, read 1 Thessalonians. Okay? And you only have to read the first three verses, or first three chapters, sorry. Because in chapter 4, he says, I want you to excel still more. <laughs> I like that idea. All right. Here's what he says, coming at the conclusion before he deals with the issues that they had asked him about. Chapter 3. His passion in the end of chapter 3 is he wants to come and see them again. He was run out of town. They had taken Jason hostage. Okay, He had gone to Berea about 50 miles away to the west of Thessalonica. He had gotten to Thessalonica and he was cons- or gotten to Berea and he thought, I wonder what happened there in Thessalonica. Next thing you know, a bunch of Jews from Thessalonica showed up in Berea and run him out of Berea. That's why he ends up down in Athens. All right. Here's what he says. Verse 12. May the Lord cause you to increase and abound in... And then he says, I want you to be specific about it for one another. See, it is hard to abound in love for one another if you love self. Did you know that? For all people, he says, oh, wait, I want you to be in love for the body of Christ. And then I want you to be in love with who? For all people. Do you understand that they had taken Christians hostage and threatened to kill them if Paul and his group didn't leave town? And I want you to love them people. They've done archaeological digs in um, Thessalonica. And most houses in Thessalonica had no windows to the outside. You know why? It was dangerous. It was a port city. It was a military base. And the major highway from Italy and Greece had to go through Thessalonica to get to the Middle East or Asia. So it had an interstate system, had a military base, a Roman garrison, and a port. Things haven't changed. They haven't changed. They really haven't. And they had stuff that was etched on their walls that you and I would classify as pornographic. And it was normal advertising. And yet Paul says, I want you to love all them people. I want you to love all them people. And look what he says next. Just as we also do for you. 
so that he may establish your hearts without blame in holiness. Did you see what he just said? How will your heart be established without blame? Abound in love for one another and all people. In holiness before God and Father to coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, basically what he's telling you and I right there, you do not need to be taught to love. If you have the love of God, it's already poured into your heart. Why would you need to be taught to love? Isn't that what the gospel is? Isn't that what the cross is? Isn't that why you were saved? Because the love of God? God so loved the world that He gave His Son. And upon your salvation, guess what? He gave you His love. Listen, we are taught by God to love. It's basic. You're not going to sit down and do a Bible study on love. And now I love. Really? Go try it. Go try it. Just take, you know what, just take the first four things out of chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians and knock yourself out. No. <laughs> okay. Peter understood this. 1 Peter chapter 1, 22 and 23, he says this. Since you have in obedience to truth, purified your souls for a sincere, it's literally a fervent love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have not been born, for you have been born again, not a seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. Did you get that? The love is already there. It is a seed that is imperishable. It is of God. See, he encourages, Peter encourages us that since we possess this love, since God has taught us to love because he has poured it into our hearts through the person of the Holy Spirit, fervently we should stretch out our love and touch everybody. With a fervent love. The word fervent there, it's an amazing word in the original language. It has to do with an extended muscle. Stretching a muscle to the point of its exhaustion, its fatigue, and maybe even damaging and stretching it, straining it. You ever thought about that? I love to the point of straining. Really? We are to reach out as far as we can to love. See, love is the basic element of the church. And it's not a manufactured thing. It's not a, you know, we'll, we'll do a little thing here, a little thing there, or have a fellowship group here, have a little barbecue here. It is the basic instinct of a Christian to love. To the point of exhaustion. To love to the point of straining no such thing as a church without love. And yet, at the conclusion of the age, men will be more lovers of self, having a form of godliness and yet denying the power. Brothers and sisters, if we ain't eyeball deep in that right now, I don't know where, then it's going to get really awful. 
I hear people tell me that to build a church, you have to have X square feet for the people because the people don't want to sit right beside another person. And you have to have, if you're going to build a church building, there's a study on this. And I'm sitting there going, are we? Never mind. Um, that if you're going to build a church and you want 200 people, you've got to be able to have a church that has 600 seats because you have to have that much space between the people. Well, that sounds like a lot of love. I don't mean, you know, I love you so much. If I sit down next to you and you didn't put your deodorant on, I love you. Put your deodorant on next Sunday. Or I'm sitting on the other side of the church. I don't understand that. You're telling me what? You think I'm, you don't think you're everybody? Who's sitting in the front row? You guys giving me a complex. I sit on the front row. Nobody ain't sitting up there. That's where he's at. I thought you loved me. We do. That's why we're sitting behind you. (laughs) You know what? I believe that love should be, maybe even arguably, the central point of the church. I want to go back to the church in Thessalonica. Chapter 1. Paul loved this church and he really wasn't there that long. I mean, if you really expand it out, some people try to say he was only there for three um, Sabbaths. Um, I don't believe that's true. I believe it was there. My calculations I came up with were about three months. Okay, so he wasn't really there that long. In verse 2, he says, We give thanks to God for all of you, making mention to you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith, your labor of love, your steadfast hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing, brethren, beloved of God, His choice of you. How does He know that these people were even saved if He was there only three months? Well, it was easy. They had a labor of love. They had a work of faith and a steadfast hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know what their radio program was. I don't know if their pastor wrote any books. I don't know how their church building program was going on or the stewardship thing. But I can tell you this. In Thessalonica, Thessaloniki, Saloniki, or whatever you want to look at it through the course of history, there's always been an evangelical presence in that city. Always. There's never been a time that there hasn't been a Protestant evangelical preaching church in Thessalonica. To this day, there is an amazing church in Thessalonica. How great was this? You became imitators of us and of the Lord's having received the word with much tribulation. Much tribulation? They were hauling the saints off, threatening to kill them. That'd be much tribulation. That you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. That's the Greek peninsula. And the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place and faith toward God has gone forth. And we have need to say anything. Why? You're doing it. I was there for three months max, and you're doing it. Your faith is seen. Your love stretches out in such a way that it has a straining to it. And your hope is in Christ's return at any moment. Hmm. The whole Greek peninsula 
It must have been a radio broadcast, you think? Their tape ministry? What was it? They received the word of the Lord as the word of the Lord. And they had a love. In this text that you're looking at, back in 1 Corinthians 16, Paul sets on the boundaries love. Love is on both sides. Let all that you do be done in love. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. And then in the middle (laughs) is about how this love works. That's what your outline is. See, if you love, you evangelize. If you love, you will serve. If you love, you are in submission. If you love, you seek the companionship. If you love, you have respect for those who are evangelizing, serving, and submission and companions. If you love, you are hospitable, meaning that you are open to anybody coming with you anytime. If you love, you are affectionate. If you love, you will close out with my love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. All these greetings, all that is here, they all have to do with love. That's the basic idea. And how does that love act? Do you understand that love is not static? Did you know that? Love isn't this, gosh, I love you. I already showed it to you when we went through chapter 13, right? Love is a verb. It is seen. It is not said. Okay? It's like when our kids, you punish your kids. I know my kids sometimes don't obey me. Okay, now most of your kids I'm sure obey you. uh, But when they didn't obey me, then I punished them. Okay? And during that punishment time, whether it's grounding or whatever it was, okay, um, they would come and say, I love you. (laughs) Why? Why would they come and say that to you? They're trying to sway your heart, right? Okay, but the truth of the matter is, and... If they disobeyed me, their actions say they don't love me. Of course, they'll tell you, you punish me, you don't love me. Well, I tell you what, how about I drop you off in the middle of the interstate and let you play? Because I love you and I'd like to see you play in the highway. Okay? See, love has an action to it. It does. We share the truth in... Love, Paul told the church in Ephesus. Okay, you know what that means, right? You bring truth to bear because you love them. Right? And you know what? Sometimes when you bring the truth to bear, I don't know, maybe not for you, but for me, sometimes when truth comes to bear, it's painful. And how can you love me if you want me hurting? That's why they call us children of God. <laughs> we go... Daddy, that hurts. Okay, the alternative is I throw you off a cliff. Okay, we'll take it. 
But it's stuff like that. When you see the love and the fellowship, there's times that it is painful. There's times that it is always sacrificial. But when you think about your service to the Lord, when you think about your sacrifice to the Lord, understand this, you haven't been hung from a cross. Okay? Yet. So when you look at this text, as you read it through this week, think about it. It's framed by what? Love. Okay? And in the framing of love, the center of it is the action that love takes place in the body of Christ. Okay? It's our overview. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your love that you've poured in our hearts to the person of the Holy Spirit. And Father, thank you for my brother Paul. Father, I, I was drawn back today to the letter to the Thessalonians. And Lord, I, I just... I just overwhelm at times. Father, we who are called by your name... Understand that the conclusion of the age is difficult times and it will be a lack of love. Father, let us not be guilty of that. Father, let us love. Let us love one another first and foremost and then let us love all that is brought into our lives. We may walk in a manner worthy to your glory and to your praise. In Christ's name, amen.